This is the Straight Dope, episode 41, Random Listener Questions. I answer most questions that come to me, but I prioritize the questions that come from subscribers to Riflecraft. So usually when an email comes through or a question comes in, I, I jump over and I take a look to see if there are subscribers, to see if my time is worth spending time answering them. And three subscribers asked me three questions that were so random, I felt like I should just make a podcast about it because it would be cool to acknowledge uh, them without naming them and uh, just taking the time to talk about random stuff because I love talking about random stuff. If you're not a subscriber to Riflecraft, that's fine. You know, you, uh, there's plenty of freeloaders. Uh, that's just a joke for Adamar. And I think that it would be cool if you did subscribe because it supports the podcast and it gives you data and metrics that help your shooting and get you closer to your goal. This is the way that you're going to get better. I am close to being able to quantify that this is the fastest way to get to your goals versus some other methods to do that. And we are showing that shooters that work on their fundamentals get better faster. So working on and thinking about it makes you a better shooter. Subscribing helps us continue to add layers and analytics to the website as well as support the podcast and voting with your wallet that you want stuff like this to stick around. I think that's really important. So for the price of letting me shoot a few rounds through your rifle a month, you are supporting that this thing continues and it would be cool. Um, but let's get to these listener questions. First one is ticks. What do you do? How do you deal with them? Many of you know, but, but most of you probably don't know that in a former life, I used to go around and collect things that were toxic. I collected toxic animals and, and uh, plants and animals that had uh, um, biologically active proteins that uh, could be studied in the lab. And so from a biochemistry standpoint, it's interesting to know how toxins work and how they operate on biological systems. But to get those, somebody's got to go out and get them. And so I went out and I got them. And so I traveled around the world looking for that kind of stuff, as well as sitting in labs uh, around the country and in other countries studying the effects of some of those toxins on biological systems. Ticks are not something that I studied, but I ended up collecting them by accident all over the place. Ticks are my least favorite little creature, and yet um, they're probably the creature that I've pulled out of my skin the most. I hate them. They drive me nuts, and I'm not an expert on them or even keeping them off of me, having once doing kind of a training exercise with a group, uh, ended up coming out of this nasty place with more than 100 ticks on me. I ended up taking antibiotics for over a month, and it caused a lot of problems. But uh, there are a couple things that I've learned to do in advance to try to prevent getting them in the first place. And the first one that I uh, like to do is is um, washing my clothes and, and a lot of my gear in permethrin. Now, it's not it's kind of a nasty stuff, but you can wash it, and it, it'll stay on. And it repels mosquitoes and ticks uh, off of your gear and clothing. Now, it's not none of this stuff is healthy because it kills other organisms. And I imagine that whether or not um, you know it's bad for them, ultimately, anything that's bad for something else is probably whether it's been proven or not bad for us too. This stuff isn't good for us either, but it keeps ticks off of us. So I usually, if I'm going to a part of the world that's going to have a lot of bugs, including ticks, wash my clothes, tent, anything I can in permethrin to help kind of encourage that they don't they don't come on to me and then I carry a lot of DEET I've carried and tried like the essential oils and the smells and the candles and the zappers and the all sorts of other uh, gimmicks but nothing has ever worked like DEET now DEET will literally like melt your watch off your arm and do all sorts of terrible things uh, to equipment and to you but it does uh, keep ticks and other insects that can cause some serious problems 
off of your body. So I have been exposed to a hell of a lot of permethrin and DEET, and yet I've still managed to get ticks. Uh, now, although it's not super fashionable, if you tuck in uh, your pants and you tuck it in your shirt, it, it'll delay the ticks from crawling up and into places, but they like to go to places that are warm, and that tends to be kind of behind your ear, ear and hairline, into your armpits, into your belly button, into your crotch. And so while they're trying to navigate to those places, sometimes you can find them and, and pick them off and get rid of them. Uh, and so if you make it harder for them to be able to do that, that's great. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the scary, well, there's a lot of scary things that happen with ticks. And I'm not a physician, so I'm not telling you what to do or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, this, these are my perspective based on, you know, a, a, a lifetime of, of um, fighting ticks and, and seeming like they're always winning. The um, Lyme disease is a big deal, right? It, it kills people, it causes a lot of problems, and it, and it attacks all sorts of parts of, of your body in weird ways. It's just something that you want to avoid. So I think it's worth being vigilant about getting ticks off of you soon. And fortunately, you can fight that with uh, antibiotics. So making sure that you're if you have ticks on you and you get them off, you know, paying attention to, to where they were and whether you get that um, kind of bullseye rash. And then if, if you have any questions, even if you don't see the rash, go to the physician and have a, have a chat with your physician because you could be prescribed antibiotics that can help fight being exposed um, to, that particular, to, to that particular disease. Um, there's an a illness that um, at this point, like I'm pretty removed from that, but I, I seem to remember that there was, a, there was some, something you can get from ticks that affected your red blood cells that was, that was almost malaria-like. And... Um, Man, I remember being on a trip once, and a guy I was meeting to go climbing with afterwards was also uh, in that part of the world, and they had been doing something, and malaria had just like gotten this this big strong guy, um, and so that for some reason when I think of ticks, um, although they don't carry malaria, I, I do kind of uh, that piggybacks into there to say that there is some malaria-like disease that you can get from ticks, uh, but I don't remember the name of that, and I'm just kind of sitting here in the basement talking off the top of my head. And then the, one of the weirdest things I've heard of from ticks is that uh, they can, um, so like your cells have all these receptors on them and the receptors um, have, have little carbohydrate extensions. And, and there's something that, that the, this tick-borne illness can do that, that creates an immune response in your system. And the weird thing about the immune response, I'm sure there's people out there, well, I know there's people out there, but I don't know if there's people that listen to this podcast um, that uh, could explain it better than this. But, but what happens is, um, you know, it does something to that carbohydrate and it creates a, um, immune response in your body, but you end up allergic to meat. And so, uh, like red meat and, um, that's freaking weird. But my guess is that if you're a shooter, you're probably a meat eater also. So, so like, you know, you might not be scared of Lyme disease and you might not be scared of, of your, uh, you know, getting red blood cell issues. But if the idea of never being able to eat red meat again, scares you, um, then that might encourage you to prevent ticks from getting into your body or biting you or burrowing in under your skin. And, um, that would, you know, at least like kick off you looking in ways to, um, prevent ticks from getting on you in the first place. And, uh, you know, I would say if you're going to do Google searches on all this stuff, like Google permethrin and Google DEET, and then, you know, then, uh, talk to people that may offer healthier, better ideas. I don't know, but I don't have Lyme disease yet and I'm not allergic to red meat yet, even though I've had a, a very, a, a unusual amount of um, run-ins with ticks all over the world. So that's ticks. I don't know. They creep me out. I hate them. They're gross as F. And uh, you can't really avoid them if you go in the outdoors. So if you can't avoid them, learn how to deal with them. And that one is uh, introduce yourself to, to chemicals that they don't like. And two, uh, develop a good relationship with a physician that could pres prescribe you antibiotics. And, um, you know, <laughs> beyond that, I think I'm, I'm uh, not any much more help than that. So that's random question number one. Random question number two was, uh, 
fitness. I want to get into fitness and be healthier and you're 47 and seem pretty healthy. Uh, so, well, thank you. Uh, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I used to identify as an athlete and, um, and I guess, I guess in a sense I still do, but you know, I try to fight that uncle Rico kind of mentality and like, I'm not sure what the statute of limitations are for like what you identify with in terms of like credibility and stuff. But, you know, it's been a number of years since I've done anything like all that athletic. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here, but I think that people need to, um, you know, within the limits of their, their body, I don't, I mean, uh, you, you need to move, right? You're, you're an animal that needs to move to be healthy. So if you sit around a lot, um, then you're probably less healthy than you could be. We didn't evolve or, uh, we're not designed to be sedentary. In fact, um, you know, w without, you know, crossing over like too many lines here, uh, you know, it's my belief that you need to move to be healthy. And if you don't move, then you'll be unhealthy. And, and, and of course that healthiness is kind of a, um, subjective measure, but, but, um, you know, you, like blood gets back to your heart, uh, more passively than it does being pumped out of your heart, right? Your heart doesn't pump blood back to you. So one of the ways the blood gets back to your heart and to your lungs to get oxygen and then to be pumped out and then go through the filters that it goes through out in your body is that you need to bend and move your joints. And when you bend and move your joints and take deep breaths and increase the pressure in your abdomen, then that blood gets squeezed through, uh, the veins in your, your body that have kind of one way valves on them to get back to your heart. So if you don't move the blood, I mean, it's going to get back to your heart anyway, but, but at least my understanding is that, um, you know, it sure helps to, to breathe and it sure helps to move when it comes to, to having that fluid flow through your body and be, um, reoxygenated and, and, um, get through the organs that it needs to get through to get rid of some of the crud that's in your body. So, uh, so, so you need to move regularly. And what does that look like? I don't know what it looks like. Like your lifestyle is your lifestyle. I think that humans, you know, I, I, I think that, that your body is a reflection of the last three months of your life. So if you were like a high school football star, but you're in your forties, like, you know, you're an uncle Rico. If you are, um, like, you know, a marathon runner and you know, you run hundred miles a week, like you, you, you're probably overdoing it a little bit, but, um, there's a, there's a, a big spectrum in between, but your body adapts very quickly and changes. Now, if you're massively obese, like, you know, if you're 500 pounds, then you're not going to change your body entirely in three months. Obviously it's going to take a lot of time and you need to do it carefully and you need to be monitored by a physician and so on and so forth. But really like, um, even though I don't look much different than I did three months ago, I haven't been as active the last three months. So my guess is if I went out and took metrics and did some exercises, you would see that, that my body has suffered. So I'm a reflection of the last three months. So if you're not being consistent in terms of monitoring where you're at, uh, you know, average the amount of activity that you did in the last three months and then try to scale that up. There are places like, um, there, I mean, there's tons of exercise programs that are out there and I don't, I don't know what's good or bad other than I've been associated with Softleet since they started as an athlete. And, uh, most of the people there are my friends and I know them and we talk health and fitness and activities and doing stuff all the time. And they help people towards all sorts of goals, fitness and health wise. And I would say consult softly. And, um, in a sense, you'd be consulting me, but you also be consulting a panel of experts that are, that's their job to take care of people. Uh, and you can get kind of more generic workouts and you can get more generic stuff, or you can talk to people directly about your particular goals. But keeping in mind that if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you that you're a reflection of the last three months. And if you want to do something that's out of that context, that you're going to need to spend more time and be a little bit more careful getting to that and that averages take time to change. So uh, get out and move. Uh, don't move too much, but but also, you know, move throughout the day. And how much is kind of depending on, you know, what your background is and, and all that stuff. I think that moving is more important uh, personally than, than what you eat necessarily. Like there's no way you're going to eat yourself to fitness, and there's no way you're going to uh, take magical pills that do much of 
anything that are going to be like life-changing in a good way, you know, really life-changing in a good way are habits and behaviors. And habits and behaviors are get out and move, get skills, you know, and hobbies and, and take up things that force you to move but don't feel like work. You know, if, if you're like, man, I don't want to go to the gym because it sucks to lift weights, I'm right there with you. But there are ways to get around that, and, and, and kids do it. And at some point, we, we learn um, to behave differently, and all of a sudden, we're not as fit and healthy and energetic as kids. And it's like, well, you know, I wonder why. Well, there's a lot of reasons, right? We have jobs, we grow up, we get responsibilities, but also we stop kind of thinking of active play. And active play is really what we're designed to do. So like, I like rock climbing, I like swimming, I like skateboarding, I like running around and doing things outside. And, and, and so that's how I get my fitness. I don't, I don't tend to um, think of life uh, like a CrossFitter does, even though there's plenty of people that are fit from doing that kind of stuff. To me, I've always found it much easier, much more enjoyable to think about going and doing things that turn out to also be active. Now, on the far end of that, I've spent a lot of years also competing and looking for things that were like, you know, tough guy events. Like, you know, something, if somebody said like, oh, this this is like the hardest event in the world, or this sucks so bad that like even Navy SEALs quit, or, you know, shit like that. Like you hear all, all sorts of garbage. One of those events, I mean, I've done a ton of them. One of those events was introduced to me by um, uh, somebody in, in one of those like, you know, uh, tough communities said, hey, let's do the Sniper Adventure Challenge because, you know, it's supposed to be like, you know, the hardest shooting adventure race sniper competition that's ever existed, you know, and so he kind of knew how to rope me in and be like, hey, let's, um, you know, if it was going to be really hard and suck really bad and be psychologically demanding, um, then I was going to say yes no matter what. And so I did. And I have a, a user question here that says, like, hey, I'm thinking about the Sniper Adventure Challenge, but I'm not sure about X, Y, Z. You know, and it, really, like, the kind of people that do some of these, like, ultimate, super hard things, they don't, they don't think like that in the first place, right? They think, like, shit, yeah, let's go do it. Like, we're going to crush anything that's super hard. Um, now, a lot of people like that quit right away which is pretty entertaining, uh, and, and I, I gain a lot of um, satisfaction when people quit things that are psychologically demanding, knowing that they're psychologically demanding, and then tapping out, like, basically instantly. And that tends to happen in just about every type of event like that, which I, I just fucking love it. Like, it makes me so happy. But anyway, they said, What's, what craft number should I get? I feel like I'm not there yet. Well, I can tell you first and foremost that I did it three years. And the last time I did it, which could be beyond the statute of limitations for the Sniper Adventure Challenge, the last time I did it was 2019. So it's been two and a half years since I've been there. And I don't know at what point you lose credibility for being able to talk about an event. But I did it three years in a row. And in 2019, uh, we won. And in 2018, we got third place. And in 2017, we got second place. So I can, I can speak in the context of that. And I can say that the first year, the shooting standards were kind of medium. And the second year we did it, the shooting standards were, were a little bit lower, like there wasn't as much shooting. And then the third year, the shooting standards were a little bit higher. But if you shoot at a shooting competition, those standards are way higher than the, the shooting standards of the Sniper Adventure Challenge. Like, you could literally win the Sniper Adventure Challenge and not know how to shoot a gun, probably. That's my, my hunch. And you would have to crush everything else and hope that, that there weren't that many points that particular year. But, but it's, it's certainly not a shooting competition. It's an adventure race with guns. And every year it's different. So you really can't bank on what they did last year or the year before. Like this, the strategy that we employed every year was to, you know, think about what we, the first year we thought about what we had heard about previous years and didn't, didn't worry too much about what they did because we felt like they weren't going to do that. And on other podcasts, you could Google those. People talk about like, oh, well, last year they did this. So we trained that a lot. It's like, shit, man, that's the opposite of what I would do. If they did it last year, they're probably not going to do it this year except for land navigation and carrying around guns and backpacks for two days. Like if you're going to, you know, if you're going to bank on anything, 
bank on carrying your backpack around for 48 hours with a map and compass, carrying your rifle. Now, how much you use the rifle, who the hell knows? You know, like, I think one year I shot 12 rounds out of my rifle. And another another year, maybe maybe thirty. I, I, you know, it's, it's it's hard to remember. But the point is, um, you know, if if you've ever been to another shooting competition at all, like it's the shooting's probably going to be easier than that. And the shooting isn't going to make or break how you place. Uh, and, and that's my hunch. So, fitness standards. I wouldn't say that there's any fitness standards either, because depending on the venue that they're at in the year that that they conduct it, the amount of mileage varies massively, as does the amount of elevation gain that you might get. So um, there really is no standard fitness goal or assessment for the Sniper Adventure Challenge, other than you'll be carrying your backpack and you'll be walking around for a couple of days. Now, I mean, if, it, if it's anything, it's a hiking contest, right? Because you're, you know you're going to have your backpack on and you know you're going to be walking around. But how far you walk around, is it, it's up to you and it's up to how much you can walk in 48 hours. The There's no finish line really. Like um, one year... Uh, the first year we did it, we we finished all of the objectives and we were considered finishers. But most years, nobody, even the winners of the event, don't finish the actual event. So there's much more to do than you're actually capable of doing at the Sniper Adventure Challenge, if that makes sense. So you just have to be prepared to do what they ask you to do in the amount of time that's given. How much you do is totally up to you. You could go do nothing, really, and just walk around for 48 hours. And you'll, you, you know, you'll probably... You, I mean, people quit before you, so you might not get last place. But if you really want to try to go and win, then you need to be able to walk around pretty quick and do what they ask you to do at the checkpoints that you navigate to. Some years, the checkpoints are kind of create your own adventure. They're scattered all over the place. They might give you 50 of them and say, you know, get as many of them as you can and, um, you know, check back in in 48 hours and we'll see how many points you accumulated. Some years there's more of a, you know, you got to go to this zone and do them and then go to this zone and do them and then this zone and do them, but you can't do them out of order from zone to zone. Uh, but, but the theme is, is the same. You got to like figure out how to go from point A to point B and plot those points yourself, carrying all your shit yourself. And when you get to point B, you may be asked to shoot and you may be asked to do a random skill. Now I say like it, there's no way to predict what they're going to do. And that's totally true, but they tend to have some themes. Some of the themes are field craft. What are field craft? Well, that's also kind of a loaded topic, but, but what I consider field craft is to be able to tie knots that, that do something, um, be able to work with ropes in a way that does something like you can climb up the rope, you could rappel down the rope, you could create a bridge with a rope. Um, you could tie somebody up with a rope. You can pull your equipment up a cliff with a rope or belay your partner up a cliff and, and that kind of stuff. And in terms of uh, rope work, you can, um, create a raft that all your equipment can float across with you on it, uh, to, to go across a lake or shoot off of from the middle of a lake, or uh, just keep it dry because it's in a shitty cow pond that's really nasty. And you're going to smell like cow shit for two days, but at least your stuff's dry kind of thing. And that, that's what I consider field craft. I've, I've never seen them ask people to light fires, but what if they asked you to light a fire with a, you know, just sticks and stones? Could you do that? Could you, can you procure and, and um, kind of resource and, and, and purify your own water because they don't, they don't provide you any of that stuff? That's, that's field craft. Um, and that probably goes into like creating a hide and doing whatever. But, but from year to year, you need to be able to do stuff in the outdoors with the stuff that you're carrying because they might ask you to do something. And the only way to accomplish that goal would be to creatively, effectively use skills that you have, whatever it is, uh, and not take too long because you got other stuff to do. And they'll sit there and talk to you for a whole day at some of these stations because uh, they know the clock's ticking. And the longer you sit there and chat, 
the less time you're going to have to go find more points. And so that's kind of a little psychological trick that you could get trapped into. Like if you see other teams or, or uh, race organizers is that they're just hanging out and they'll hang out with you there the whole time. But in the meantime, other teams are out there looking for points. So field craft, I would brush up on your field craft skills. Can you use knives? Can you use, can you build weapons? Can you, um, you know, do whatever, you know, the craziest things that you can imagine, just always brush up on your field craft skills. Now, trade craft is a little bit tricky because uh, depending on what your trade is, you may or may not be exposed or be able to learn that. But there's plenty of books out there on, you know, learn to do random things. Um, and, you know, there's cheesy books and, and people that talk about, oh, you know, whatever. But, but really, it just comes down to like, um, it's more of like urban uh, field craft. Like, can you pick locks? Can you search a house? Can you uh, do things that are with, 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 with like um, human created stuff? You know, it's like field craft, but in the human environment. Can you pick locks? Can you search a house? Can you send codes? Can you break in? You know, can you look through dossiers and find patterns or identify subjects uh, and and uh, solve puzzles and that kind of stuff? And um, again, like, there's n there's no real theme other than those types of scenarios are are often some of the ones that you run into. Now, if you get to a uh, checkpoint and, and you don't know how to do it at all, you could still be creative and try to solve the problem anyway. Like, you know, if you get handcuffed and you can't pick a handcuffs, like you, you know, there's, there's other ways to get out of handcuffs that don't involve necessarily picking the, um, locking mechanism. Or if you're, if, if, if there's a deadbolt on a closet and all your equipment is locked in it, like, you know, however you can get your stuff, like you get your stuff and keep going. So being able to like look outside the box is important just as much as being able to learn those specific skill sets. Then, uh, obviously, using a UTM or MGRS gridded map, plotting coordinates uh, to the square meter, and being able to actually walk through them. The, the, the more effective you are at navigating, the less mileage you have to do to try to find a spot, right? Because straight lines or you know, however you decide to go from point A to point B, um, if your route totally sucks, you just add mileage or elevation or both. But if you're scored based on the number of points that you get, you want to be efficient and effective at being able to plot those and get from one to the next. Now, if you get to one and it sucks and you're like, man, I'm not going to do that. For example, the one that stands out to me was, um, you know, one of the teammates has to barrel roll, you know, kind of like when you were a kid and you got up on a hill and you rolled down on your side, like over and over and over again, you got really dizzy. You had a, we had a barrel roll for a kilometer and it was like, man, not only would I be thrown up, which I don't care if I throw up because of like exertion, but but I, I do care if I throw up because I'm dizzy and my equilibrium's off because I barrel rolled for a kilometer. Um, so we said like, you know, fuck that. And we would be covered with cactus and all that shit. So we just said, no, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll pass on that point and we'll go do the next one. The next one was, you know, like dig a grave. And so you spend a lot of time digging a grave and then you put your shit in it and you got your points and moved on. But um, you get to pick and choose the ones that you want to do uh, at some of these places. And some of them, they're like separators. And so you can't move on until you finish them. Uh, the separators they're not impossible or things that maybe nobody would want to do. I mean, some of it can be a hassle or a little bit gross, but, um, but you get through it, right. Or maybe physically demanding and, and you just got to get through it. But, but you wouldn't go to an event like this if you weren't willing to just do whatever they asked you to do in terms of the physical demands. Now, some of it, uh, you know, one person might have an advantage over another, like, um, you know, one year you had to, to the rescue Randy dolls that are like 200 pounds, 220, 200, I don't know how much they are. They weigh a lot though. And if you're two little guys and you have to lift it over your head, as many times as you can in a minute, um, you're going to be at a disadvantage to two like six foot eight giant Viking guys that can just do it with one arm easy. But uh, but those big huge Viking guys are going to struggle when it comes to other tasks. And so when it comes to like equalizing it out, I don't think they care one way or the other. But but um, uh, you know the tasks tend to kind of equalize out 
but they favor the people that are the most diverse and have the most problem-solving abilities with diverse skill sets. So if you have fieldcraft and tradecraft and shooting and rucking uh, experience and climbing experience, then you'll tend to do better than people that don't. Uh, for rock climbing stand, let's see, uh, distance, weight, uh, you know, distance, I would say that like you, you definitely want to be able to carry whatever your pack weight might be. Like, let's say, let's say, um, you know, I think a, a standard, a universal standard for a ruck weight might be 45 pounds, right? So let's say you could walk 26 miles with a 45 pound rock, like fitness wise, you're fine. Now you might double that distance, but if you can do 26 miles straight, uh, you're, you're, you're plenty fine, uh, with a, with a 45 pound pack. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you might need to carry more. You might need to carry less. I don't think I've carried more than 45 pounds uh, any of the years that, that we went, including my rifle. We, I, I'm not a big fan of like just going balls out, trying to minimize every tiny ounce of everything. I think about the equipment that I'm taking and try to optimize its usability first and then consider weight. But if I need it to shoot well, like I don't need a six pound rifle. There's people that have these ultra light rifles, but like they suck at shooting in the first place. Like, okay, fine. But you're not going to, you know, they're not going to hit anything or they're not going to get points from shooting. And so, but why would you waste money on a, on a six pound rifle when you're there to try to compete for points. And so I carried a 16 pound rifle and that the year we won it, I think we, we got the most point shooting and I just sucked up carrying a couple extra pounds. You know, I'm a 200 pound guy. So, you know, a few more pounds like really means nothing to me personally. And when I went, I had enough fitness to be able to do that. Uh, I even carried a tripod that last year because I anticipated the shooting to be harder because the first two years were not as hard. And so I kind of thought like, you know, if they're going to do anything with the shooting, they're going to make it more challenging, like less stable, faster. And that turned out to be the case and it worked in my favor. Um, so I wouldn't listen to like the, you know, you need the ultralight equipment. Um, you know, those people could get crushed in other ways if the event shifted out of favor for having super ultralight uh, equipment. And one, you know, who knows? I mean, the, you know, it, it totally depends on the mass directors and how they design the event. So it could favor people with ultralight stuff, but that approach could also be just as much of a hindrance. And it's not up to us, right? It's up to you just to show up and do what they ask you to do. And if it turns out that that's the way that wins, then great. But I would rather be diverse and able to consistently perform, you know, under any conditions than only under the conditions that were optimal for my equipment. So uh, I rather I would rather carry a little more and be more diverse than carry a little less and just like pray to God that they don't ask us to do something that my equipment can't do because I was, you know, trying to game the system. Like, you know. So anyway, uh, climbing standards. I don't think there's climbing standards, but I would say like if, if you can try to your best to be able to climb 510, like go to a gym and climb 510 or go outside and try to top row 510s. They didn't ask anybody to do any leading at the years that I was there, but they also most of the time had climbs that were easier than 510. But 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 there was one option, um, maybe year two, that had you know around a 511 option that you could go up. And you couldn't, they, they didn't have it rated because it was just up a, a kind of a rotten cliff. But the section that I ended up trying to go in because it was dark, to me felt like about 511. And, and, um, you know, there were other sections that were like five, eight, five, nine, but I think like as a standard, uh, it, it's just a good idea to be able to climb five ten anyway, as like a responsible adult that wants to go do stuff. Like that's a cool standard to have. It's not very hard to do, but it takes a little bit of practice and cure familiarization. So uh, that's what, that's what I would say if you were going to ask me, but you know what, they may not have any rock climbing at all when you go. So in that case, it's just trying to be that well-rounded human that I think is good. But if you're just trying to go for the standard adventure challenge, read the rules. And if it says there will be rock climbing, then try to get your skills up enough to be able to understand how to do that. Um, and, and if, if, if it says there will not be rock climbing, then, then you don't need to worry about it. Um, let's see, uh, in terms of like evasion and lock picking skills and stuff like that, first of all, like it, you know, it, it's not that complicated, right? Like think about it. 
I know there's books and people want to make it sound like, oh, this is really hard and you have to be, you know, some kind of super, you know, alphabet soup kind of person to learn this stuff. But those people come from somewhere that's just the same as you and they learn those skills very quickly and then they get put into the field just, just the same. You can learn skills like that just like anybody else. Just, you know, Google it, YouTube it. And think about, like, if you're trying to get away from somebody, you know, where would you go that they don't want to go and wouldn't chase you? And, and uh, what, what would you have to do that they wouldn't want to do? Or what could you do that's better than, than they can do to get away or to find somebody? Or if somebody was hiding from you, you know, where would you go hide thinking that nobody was going to find you there? Um, and then, you know, look in the super obvious places, but also look in like the worst places. Like, you know, if, if, I, if I jump into a sewer and swim down a sewer full of shit and needles and shit like that, like I know that, that most sane, rational humans aren't going to go in there. So that might be a good place to sneak in and out of. On the other hand, like you got to be pretty committed to the cause to expose yourself to, to life-threatening um, stuff in order to hide and to accomplish something like that. They're not going to make you do that. But, but I mean, I think like, you know, that's the context that I think in. Like if I'm trying to get away from somebody, I'm going to go somewhere that they can't go. If I'm going to try to hide from somebody, I'm going to hide somewhere that they aren't going to look for me and either make it like so disgusting or so miserable or so terrible or so dangerous that, that they can't do that. Like, and then think about how could you run an event safely and get insurance? Like they won't make you like crawl through a sewer. Maybe they would, but, um, or, or through, you know, if there's a bunch of thorn bushes and stuff like that, or cliffs, you know, if, um, but, but, you know, think, think like a normal creative human and you can get around all those problems because, um, you know, it's just normal humans that are, are looking for you or you're trying to look for, and when it comes to like lock picking and all that shit, you could just Google it and learn how to do it. Like, honestly, it's not that hard. Uh, it just takes a little bit of practice and, 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 you know, you can get a couple little devices that you can carry with you to make that stuff a little bit easier. So, um, even though it's fun, it's a little gimmicky because it's easy to do. It takes a little bit of forethought in advance, but you could take care of that. Um, while you're training up, because I would advise people to train at least nine months for the Sniper Adventure Challenge because it is physically demanding. And probably the thing that I would encourage people to do the most that wasn't mentioned as questions here, um, although uh, it, it maybe maybe was with distance and weight and stuff like that, is if you're going to do an event that, uh, that that's 48 hours or longer, you're going to you're going to reach a level of fatigue like in, 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 you know, I just mean by prolonged fatigue, right, because it's not it's not an exercise contest. It's, a, it's an endurance contest. And in an endurance contest, you're going to last a long time, but you're going to be fatigued and you're going to go through your circadian rhythm in weird ways. And so one thing that I've noticed with people across the board in a number of events, lifestyles, challenges, selections, and stuff like that is that um, staying up all night does weird things to people, especially when you're active and moving around. And so when you're under like your own, um, you know, you're out there walking around and you're walking all night, uh, you kind of go through these weird cycles. And it seems like uh, a lot of people run into issues at like towards the end of the first night that they've been walking all night. So I would say like go out and if you're going to be doing rucks, let's say you're going to do a 12 or 20 mile ruck, you know, is it once you, once you're at that distance where you can do it, do it all night, like start at sunset and walk till sunrise and see what happens to your mind and body during that. My guess is that your mind will start to play tricks on you and make you feel like you have pains that aren't there make you feel like there are thoughts that aren't normally the types of things that you think about. And it might question your resolve for why you're doing it and so on and so forth. But doing that, uh, you know, reinforces the fact that you want to do it if you want it to be reinforced. And it teaches you about your behavior under conditions like that. Um, you know, don't do it if you can't handle it or if it's going to hurt you or if it's going to cause other problems. But on the other hand, you don't want the Sniper Adventure Challenge or anything that's going to test you for extended days where you're going to be awake working hard all night for, for a number of days without having kind of gotten an idea of what it's like psychologically to get through something like that uh, while you're exerting, uh, you know, at least a minimal amount of effort, like walking with a loaded backpack is not that much effort. But I think you'll learn something about your psychology and your physiology by doing it all night. Um, 
now I'm not a doctor, so don't, don't hold me accountable to that. But I would say that, that, um, I know what my body does on the first night that I've been walking all day and all night. I know what my body does and my mind does the second night when I've been awake for two days walking all day and all night. I know what my mind does the third night when I've been walking all day and all night for three days. And let me tell you, if I was going to do something like that, you know, today, I would be very grateful that I at least did it for one night and because, but it amplifies over time. And so, um, for me personally, uh, you know, I can get kind of what I refer to as phantom pains and they go, they've, they've, they've since vanished, but I think it was my mind, you know, just saying like, this is really uncomfortable. I never experienced anything like this, you know, like your hip hurts, your knee hurts, your foot hurts, your back hurts, your head hurts, like your guts hurt, all this stuff. And, and when I realized like, oh my God, you know, I think I'm seriously hurt or I think I'm seriously whatever. And then you realize like, I'm not, um, I mean, if you are, you know, get it, get taken care of. But for me personally, I've noticed that like when it, when it was, when I was younger and I was doing types of things like that for the first time, a lot of those things happened. And I came to the realization that it must've been my mind scrambling to come up with reasons for, you know, why I was out all night for one night, two night, three night, four night. And I got to be able to control that really well, which is one of the reasons I've been very effective and, and accomplished in, in that realm of stuff. But it didn't come without hard knocks and it didn't come without learning that, that your mind and body does weird things to you when you're sleep deprived and fatigued at that kind of level. And so I would say that that's probably not a bad idea to get comfortable with, at least for the first night, right? Just walk all night. Like if you, you know, that doesn't mean like stay awake for 48 hours or 72 hours or 96 hours, like, you know, cause that has further kind of negative consequences, but, 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 you know, take a nap and then wake up before sunset and then just walk while it's dark. Like it's weird. People aren't really nocturnal organisms. So, you know, you might learn something about um, yourself and your body uh, while you're doing that and your working fitness and, and then you'll recover from that, you know, faster than you might from extended, extended durations. And then uh, start slow and build up slow, right? Cause it takes a long time to recover from things like that. You don't want to overdo it with your training. Um, the event is really rewarding. So that's the Sniper Adventure Challenge thing. If you want to hear specifics and other people talk about their uh, perspective on the event, Google it. There's plenty of podcasts where people talk about going and what they did and how they viewed it. Uh, most of the time, I differ in opinion from them about that stuff, but you can hear that. And for me, it's about be plan for diversity, plan for the unexpected, and and be adaptable. And if you're adaptable and resilient, you can do anything rather than training for something specific because things can always go wrong. So I always say, you know, bank on being resilient and adaptable. And that just means diversifying and getting comfortable with your mind and body. And, and, and you can't help but have success if that's the case. Whereas other people approach it from like a gaming, technical, specific, yada, yada, yada. But then, you know, life throws a curveball and, 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 and they're not as successful as they think that they might be. So, um, you know, have that positive mindset, have that can-do attitude, put in the work so that you know that you deserve to be there and that you can accomplish anything that you want and uh, you'll have nothing but fun because it's a super rewarding event. I think it's totally spectacular, but it, but there's a lot of things that it isn't. And sometimes people overemphasize uh, the things that I think that it isn't because it makes them sound cool and tough and stuff like that. So that's the Sniper Adventure Challenge. Super fun. You carry a rifle, so that makes it even cooler than an adventure race, but it's not you know, it's not the AG cup in terms of shooting, uh, precision and, um, dick measuring in that regard. You know, if you want to test yourself on a fitness competition, like go do an Ironman. Uh, I mean that, that, you know, if you want to test yourself on a precision rifle thing, go do a precision rifle thing. If you want to test yourself on an F class thing, go do an F class thing. This is more of like a adaptable field, well-rounded outdoor person contest. And, um, and, and, and so approach it like that rather than something that it, that it might not be. So, and, and it'll be really cool and rewarding. But again, it's been a couple of years since I've gone 
and uh, it might be different now. I don't, I don't know. And it might be, you know, different down the road. Who, who, who knows? But, but, but I think that the world's a better place when there are things like this available for people to test themselves and learn what their strengths and weaknesses might be. Because you never know when you might have to stay up for a couple of days doing hard things. And it, and it doesn't hurt to, um, well, it could hurt, but it, it, it's, it's not always the worst thing to, to know how you respond in those kinds of um, kinds of uh, conditions, even though I don't think shit's ever really going to hit the fan. Uh, you know, you never know. And I've been wrong before. It's good to know that you have the skill sets to be able to do anything, take care of anyone and accomplish all sorts of stuff. On the other hand, you know, a meteor could hit us and kill us all anyway. So it doesn't matter, you know, so it's all fun and games in the long run, as far as I'm concerned. So till next time, uh, keep sending questions. And if you want me to answer them on a podcast, like make sure you're a subscriber, because I probably won't uh, answer questions to non-subscribers because you know, they're taking the time to show that respect. I'll, I'll do the same thing back. And, uh, but, but feel free to, to not, not and keep listening because I'm going to keep doing this because of supporters. So thank you. And hopefully you're still out there shooting because really this is about getting better at shooting.